Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. There has been a war on the image of God, clearly seen throughout history. From the Garden of Eden to our present day, it is painfully obvious that the enemy and all who are under his rule, having their minds darkened, hate the Imago Dei. Instead of trusting in God by faith and accepting the glorious reality that mankind is the peak of creation, we have instead turned to silly and irreverent myths and an attempt to hide in and to play with our sin. David Menton, in his article, The Origin of Evolutionism, It Didn't Begin with Darwin, writes, Heraclitus of Ephesus, 535 to 475 BC, preferred fire as the basic element from which everything in the universe evolved. Like modern-day evolutionists, Heraclitus was preoccupied with the idea of limitless change. He attempted to eliminate any necessity for a creator by postulating a constantly changing world with neither beginning nor end. Since anything a man declares to be eternal becomes his god, nature itself became the god of materialism. Menton goes on to write that Empedocles 484 to 424 BC had this own idea of natural selection involving water, air, fire, and earth. Fast forward to the 1700s and you have Jean-Jacques Rousseau, 1712 to 1778. Rousseau was the type of Genevan philosopher that would make Calvin turn over in his grave. In the article, Who Was Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Why Should Christians Care by Patricia Engler, it is made clear that the poor foundations of thought propagated by Rousseau led to faulty conclusions, conclusions with consequences. Rousseau is the father of self-expression and not in a good way. Engler writes, many enlightenment philosophers viewed human reasoning as the supreme authority for truth, but Rousseau placed a premium on feelings as the authority instead. According to Dr. Arthur Melzer in the Harvard Review of Philosophy, for Rousseau, the true self is not the rational self. We are not our intellect, our mind, but our feelings. The ground of our being is the sentiment of existence, which is a sentiment, a feeling. To exist for us is to feel. Then of course there's Charles Darwin, the man who competed with Charles Spurgeon in England for the soul of the nation in the 1800s. Darwin's failed theory that humans are nothing more than an evolved monkey is taught as a fact in most public schools, despite the theory being biblically, epistemically, and scientifically suicidal. This demonic framework opened the door for the hedonism and emotional turmoil we see around the world today. But hey, if man is nothing more than the elements of the air, a bag of mixed feelings, and an evolved primate, who's to say that the next phase of this evolution isn't for a man to identify as a woman and dominate women's sports just because he feels like it? This foolish rejection of God is nothing new under the sun. And if one thing is clear, it's not humanity that's evolving, but rather these anti-biblical and foolish origin stories of fish to philosophers. All right, welcome in to Another episode of the Reform Roundtable. What is going on? My name is Parker Stoddard. I'm Larry Torak. Larry, nice haircut, dude. Thanks, man. Thanks. Looking fly. I feel like it's been forever for us. It's been too long, man. Yeah. I've missed you. I missed you. Yeah, we took a little break for the holidays. We had enough content to pump out to keep you guys entertained. But we have we have dearly missed the bros that were, were here at the, the roundtable. We're back around the roundtable. We're back around it. It's looking as round as ever. We're missing one. We are. We are missing one. Jay Huey. Don't worry, he'll be here soon, but this is one that Larry and I wanted to hop on real quick and knock out. But for those of you Jay Huey fans, you know who you are. 
You know exactly who you are. He's got it's fans okay. all around the world. Yeah, he'll be back. Maybe he's uh, secretly releasing his next uh, Christian mixtape. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Is he going to be dropping an album soon? Who knows? Stay tuned, people. Well, based off the cold open, we are going to be talking about the myths and kind of the repercussions um, that man has believed um, and, and their fundamentally lies about um, our origins, our value, and it's led to all sorts of chaos that we see in culture today. And it's really fascinating because doing just a little bit of research for this, it, it's so clear to see that it doesn't start with Charles Darwin in the 1800s. Um, there have always been those who have tried to rationalize how humanity could have come about by means of materialism. And it doesn't work. And it leads to total chaos. Yeah. I mean, morality is necessarily grounded in a biblical worldview at the end of the day if we take a material view of morality and or rather of a of human origin then morality can be whatever we want it to be that there's no actual grounding for our morality because it's something that simply just evolved into what it is now and it can just as easily evolve out exactly now you've made a really good point before when, when we've talked about morality that um, morality by definition has to be objective because if something at one at one point can be objectively correct and then at another be objectively wrong, you don't have a standard at all. What you have is is just a fluctuation of an opinion or a feeling, and uh, it's it's really interesting to to see how that's taken shape in society over the years. Right? You know, you had the Puritans uh, back in. Oh, go ahead. Um, uh, Jump I, in. I was just gonna say before he stuck we move the finger at me, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he made me stop. A relative morality essentially reduces itself down to absurdity a hundred percent of the time because if morality is just based on our feelings you have your morality i have my morality and then nothing's actually right nothing's actually wrong we can't actually look to someone and say yeah you can't do this because it's wrong you can't you know mass murder a group of people because it's wrong because they can just turn back and say well i don't think it is I think that, it, you know, genocide is actually a good thing. That's how my morality works. And so how can you tell me otherwise? It's like, well, you know, I just, I, I just feel like it is. I feel like it isn't, you know? And so you don't actually get anywhere. If your morality isn't grounded in anything outside of yourself, then it's going to reduce down to absurdity a hundred percent of the time. Absolutely. It has to stem from something outside of us as humans. It has to come from above us. It has to be transcendent, so to speak. And it's always interesting because you have a guy like Rousseau, right, who thought that uh, we aren't um, spiritual creatures. We are just our feelings. And it's funny because I'm thinking of a Ben Shapiro quote, facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> when you look at Rousseau's ideology, he would say that what is best for society is what the common collective and what the common group believes is correct, like is right. So pretty much popular opinion equals objective morality with Rousseau. And that just falls apart because then you have those people who would speak out about something, right? For an example, um, let's say the Holocaust, right? Uh, so those in Germany then, according to this Rousseauian changing idea of morality, those that would have been speaking out about events such as the Holocaust are actually objectively evil because they're not the minority voice. So anytime that we want to say that there is an objective truth based off of just mass majority or numbers of opinion, whatever it might be, 
um, it's going to fall apart. And then when you try and hold it up to real life examples with things like the Holocaust, yeah. um, you, you're forced to consistently admit if you hold to this view, well, you know what? In Germany, the Holocaust was objectively right. And uh, those that opposed it, those Christians that opposed it were objectively wrong. At that point, you're, you're just left in, like you're saying, total absurdity and inconsistency. Yeah. Uh, Did that kind of make sense? Were you tracking? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the same line of thought. Yeah. No, it's, it's super important. Um, and then we look back and, and this whole idea of man being just an evolved beast, um, being, you know, a primate, these different ideas of man not having the unique image of God go back way farther than Darwin, right? But the ramifications are bad because when you start talking and when you start repeating lies that people are just evolved animals, they're going to start acting like it. Um, I'm not the first person to say it, but it's it's a serious issue that you have. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, some people may just say like, hey, come on, guys, like, look at the evidence. Look at all this evidence we have. You know, we we evolved from from primates. The problem is, is evidence has to be interpreted within the context of a worldview. Evidence itself doesn't stand on its own. We interpret the evidence through a certain framework. You know, some people, they have a materialistic framework, and so they're going to interpret the evidence in a certain way. We have a biblical framework. We're going to interpret it, uh, interpret evidence differently. And an example I like to give of this is uh, textual variance in the Bible. I think that when we get into textual criticism, and we'll probably do an episode on this, but I think that is a good way to highlight how evidences fit within a certain worldview framework. For example, you take a skeptic of the Bible, right? You show them textual variants, right? Bart Ehrman, you know, famous for saying that there's more textual variants in the biblical manuscripts than there is verses in the Bible, which is a true statement, right? But then you take a Christian and you show him that same thing. He's going to come to a different conclusion. Because what a skeptic is going to say, either look that the, the biblical narrative's unreliable or look, people, you know, purposely changed, um, you know, what the text was trying to say. And you contrast that with a Christian who is operating with within a Christian worldview. And they will say like, okay, there were some mistakes in the scribal transmission of the text, but we still have God's word within the textual tradition. And so, we would say the inspired copy is the original language right, in which the apostles right, wrote. Right, right, exactly. And so we have the we have the original in the textual tradition, and we can actually examine all of the evidence, variances and all, and we can actually confidently say that the text of scripture, the transmission of it, is generally reliable. And that's because we're operating within a different worldview. We're interpreting these evidences differently, where the atheist will try to project a negative intent upon whatever scribe was was dealing with the text. A Christian is going to say, no, I, I don't think that the intent of this individual was necessarily malicious, but there may have just been a mistake made. And that's I think that's true. I think that it was just an honest mistake that was made in the transmission of the text. And so it's the same thing when we come to, you know, certain evidences like like dinosaurs or evolution. We have these quote unquote evidences 
we have these pieces of information and we're all interpreting those things through a certain uh, worldview framework. Absolutely. No, I think about Dr. Jason Lyle, who's contributed a lot to this conversation. Um, and, you know, uh, the when we're talking about something like you're saying, the age of the universe, right? Yeah. The Christian's going to look out and see comets. And comets can only last for thousands of years up there in space. So the Christian will look and go, hey, that definitely is evidence of a young universe. Well, the atheist will interpret that as, well, there's got to be some secret Oort cloud out there that's just pumping out these comets. So our, our, our lenses, right, our presuppositions are definitely going to affect the way that we interpret this evidence, 100%. Uh, and unfortunately, like Romans 1 says, because uh, naturally we love the darkness rather than the light, we will develop these complicated, sophisticated, even at times eloquent, sound, eloquent sounding uh, worldviews, but they're all with the same purpose to try and hide from God. Yeah. Uh, Jesus says that uh, the light of the world, you know, came in, but men love, this is a paraphrase, of course, um, but I'm just thinking of uh, the text where he said that... Men love darkness rather than yeah, the light. Yes, yes, yes. Because their deeds were wicked, so they did not commend the light. Larry, I'm just going to have you quote them all from now. Thank you. That was good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. People don't want the light naturally. They don't want their sin exposed. And it's really unfortunate because when we look at something like the Enlightenment, was there some critical thinking going on there? Sure. But what came out of it? This idea that we don't need God, we can separate from it. And then you look at the consequences of something like that in a society. You have the French Revolution, right? Where it's chaos, anarchy, beheadings versus more um, of a Christian, if you will, revolution where the United States ended up forming uh, after breaking off from England at the same time. And these are kind of two different worldviews that came into play for sure. Uh, just the way that we view humanity, the way that we uh, view cultural engagement, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're onto something when you say the way that you view humanity. Because if if you have a, a naturalistic worldview, then you have no rights. There's no such thing as rights. There's no such thing as as dignity because you don't have any dignity. You ju you're just an animal that that evolved to where you are. But within a Christian framework and worldview we're actually able to say with full conviction that this individual was created in the image of God. And because of that, because they were created in God's image, that they have the right to be treated with dignity and respect, quite simply, because God says it. We look in God's law all over, and we see that there are certain consequences, severe consequences for taking the life of a human being. You know, so we can't just treat humans like livestock. You know, we can't just abuse each other and, and expect it to be okay because that is an image bearer and they should be treated with dignity and respect. Right. Yeah. There has to be a grounding. And maybe we can focus in a little bit now on where these ideologies have led us to where we're at in the present day. Yeah. But. Uh, you look at the history of, of these. It, it's funny, too, because people will say, oh, the creation myth, the creation story, whatever. It's like, well, first off, everyone has a creation story. Vody Bauckham says, when atheists mock you for believing in the virgin birth of Christ, ask them, where the, uh, ask them how the earth was born. And that is a question that we all have to deal with. And as Christians standing on the word of God, we, ha we have confidence and we know that Yahweh spoke everything into existence um, because he can and because he wanted to. And the atheist doesn't have uh, 
an answer to how the universe came to be. It just simply is, well, there was some sort of virgin birth or uh, material has always existed. Matter's always existed, which I believe that theory has kind of gone down the drain. Um, but they don't have an answer. And that's not even getting into the epistemological issues that you have yep. if you're going to take a naturalistic worldview, right? So as Christians, we understand that we can pretty much, obviously we live in a fallen world, but we can trust the reliability of our senses. Yeah. Uh, the atheist though doesn't actually have this. I'm not saying that they they can't reason just as well. However, uh, they don't have an explanation for how we can trust our um, our epistemic faculties, our brains, um, our thought processes. Yeah. Because if we just evolved from dead matter all the way up to where we're at now, uh, human beings, there's no reason to trust uh, your own thoughts, essentially, because if, if evolution is true, uh, then your thoughts and your reasoning faculties are just based off of survival value and not truth. Yeah. So you're literally led to absurdity with that line of thinking. Uh, I think there's a great quote out there um, that science is a slave to philosophy. And really, you have to have a good framework and a good reasoning uh, before you can even really truly uh, understand and appreciate the sciences correctly. You know, we saw a lot of great... Uh, Christian philosophers and scientists kind of leading up to the enlightenment, right? That yeah. they explicitly were doing these things, conducting different studies for the glory of God. And they were explicit about it. And then we all, all of a sudden got to this point in history, uh, the enlightenment really was kind of a big, just a big dividing time. And it was a time where people wanted to reason away from God. And in an attempt to do so, they actually became foolish and uh, validated Romans 1 all the more. Yeah, 100%. And, and just to kind of uh, backtrack really quick, when, when we're talking about epistemology, we're just talking about one's foundation for knowledge. Yes, right? thank like, you. Like what is, what is that, that one thing or, or maybe for some it's a set of principles? Um, I, I don't know, but you know, what is the, uh, the one thing that your knowledge ultimately hinges upon. How do we know what we know? Right, exactly. And so we would, you know, of course, ground that in in God and in his being. Because Acts chapter 17 says that in him we live and move and have our being. So without God, we can't actually know anything. And the reason I can say that with confidence, and I don't think I'm arrogant in saying that, is simply because of how we define knowledge here. We would just simply define knowledge as a, a justified true belief Right. And so in order for you to have something that even counts as knowledge, it both has to be true and then it also has to be grounded in something. So for something to be justified, it must have sufficient grounding. And I don't believe the atheist has sufficient grounding for their knowledge. And I, I don't say that to be abrasive, but you know, I, I genuinely just haven't heard a good answer from the other side. So that being said, you know, I, I don't think that they can have uh, have true knowledge of anything. Yeah, how can you reject the one who is truth and yet claim to live by it and to be able to reason by it? Yeah. Um, again, that's not to say that, you know, atheists can't reason well, right. uh, but they can't ground that because they've rejected God. And it's led to all sorts of consequences, right? Darwin, let's hop on the, the missing link train right there mm -hmm. and, and dive into the kind of the consequences of mainstream and popularized uh, macroevolution theory. Yeah. So growing up, um, I don't know about you, Larry, but when I was in school, this was pretty much taught as fact, the idea that human beings uh, came from <laughs> essentially two rocks hitting into each other, 
that turned into a soup of chemicals. And then after a certain amount of time, animals started crawling out of those chemicals, bacteria, uh, single-celled organisms, of course, um, and progressively getting more complex all the way up until monkeys and then humans. And this idea is very convincing for a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of people assume that, well, school wouldn't lie to me. You know, they're, they're gonna be telling the truth. And these concepts yeah. were introduced at an early age, like sixth grade, yeah. I was going over this. Um, I actually had to do a, <laughs> I actually had to do a, a little booklet. Uh, it was like an ABC booklet on evolution, essentially. And for S, I still, I think my mom still has the booklet somewhere, but it's S is for some people don't believe this. <laughs> and I, I low key did like a little like evangelism piece in there for my teacher and she actually loved it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I referenced Jesus and God making all things, I believe. Um, and yeah, for those that don't have discerning parents though, that aren't raised in the Lord or that maybe you're hardened to it, uh, this is an easy escape to um, live however you want to live. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the outworking of it. So I don't know if you have anything you wanted to add there, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that that is, um, that's something that fed into the depravity that we see today. Like if, if we're here essentially by chance where there's no actual transcendent being mm -hmm. that is outside of all this, that's, that's orchestrating everything, then that really does just give people a pass to live however they want. You know, I mean, you might, you might be sitting there saying like, well, you know, I don't need religion to, to be a good person. It's like, well, you're kind of not a good person anyway, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. it's the, it's the confession of the Christians that like, yeah, like we're, we're not good people. You know, I'll, I'll tell you right now, like I, I'm not a good person, um, but I'm going to stand before a holy God one day. And so will you, and you're going to have to give an account for your life and, uh, what's required to stand before him is not just being good enough, but it's to have a perfect righteousness. And so, you know, the question isn't going to be like, are you good? But the question will be, are you perfect? Have you ever, you know, made a, a moral mistake? You know, like let's, we can soften the blow a little bit. Like, have, have you ever told a lie? You know, like, have you ever ran a red light? You know, that, that's a, that's another thing. It's one of those minor, you know, quote unquote minor sins. But the reality is, is that God has ordained a government to rule over us. Justly. Justly. And which it doesn't in America. Which or it anywhere. doesn't in America, but, <laughs> but, but no, where it does, stands, you know, stands. we are to, we are to, in a sense, bow the knee and, and submit to that right. government. You're going to have to stand before a holy God one day. And if you don't have a perfect righteousness in and of yourself, then you need somebody to mediate in your place. And the good news is, is that Christ did that, that he did live a perfect life and fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in its totality. And not only did he do that, but he died a sinner's death on the cross, the cross that you had coming for you, incurring God's judgment upon himself. He was buried and raised after three days, and it says that he lives to make intercession on behalf of the saints forever at the right hand of the Father. So the call is really just to, to turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ. Now, we understand that this isn't just merely an intellectual thing that, you know, we are to convince you, you know, into the kingdom um, by mere intellectual discussion, but... We bring the gospel to bear down on this issue because we believe that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. And that the promise of God is that he will regenerate the elect, that he will soften their hearts towards the gospel. 
and that they will receive it with full conviction. And so that's that's our that's really our heart for you if if you're listening to this as an atheist or even you know I mean we we, we think you're saved if you're a, a theistic evolutionist, but we you're think that you're wrong some, and that yeah. ideology provides some serious issues for your your overall systematic. But you know we we still receive you as a brother, but repent, <laughs> love you. Yeah, no, um, like, like you said. But yeah, so I mean if 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 you're really on the other side and outside of the faith, listening to this. You know, we would, we would just invite you to to receive Christ and really to to be a part of a local body and to embrace a worldview that that can account for knowledge, that can account for morality, logic, reason, ethics, um, all the above. Yeah, and a lot of people aren't even aware. On that note, of course, it isn't primarily. It is a spiritual issue. It's not an evidence issue, like you said. There is lots of evidence, though, too, yeah, <laughs> for, for, for creation, for uh, a young young world, young universe. Again, people hold various views on the age of the earth, and they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's really an issue that I don't think a lot of people dive into. Uh, it's kind of one that's just assumed because one thing is said long, uh, long enough, over a long enough period of time. And that's kind of what you have with propaganda, right? Just repeat a lie until it sounds like the truth. Yeah. And a lot of what we have is pseudoscience like bill and i the pseudoscience guy he's not a real the scientist pseudoscientist? the pseudoscientist absolutely we can uh, with have certainty because god has revealed to us uh, in nature and in his word <clears throat> that humans are different categorically yeah and it's to not to there's really no wonder why we have the uh, gender confusion the whole oh my goodness can a man menstruate or, or get pregnant participate in women's sports yeah. One, it's ironic because men somehow still seem to be oppressing women in a certain sense, trying to to bump them out of their roles, even though they're accusing, you know, men who are advocating for actual women, biological women, to have rights. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a whole mess. But who's to say that that isn't the next wave of evolution? Who's to say that that furry people aren't just <laughs> the next the next wave of, of evolution? And in an attempt to try and reason our way out of God, we've actually just degraded ourselves to nothingness. Yeah. It's kind of depressing. Yeah. I mean, God has, uh, you know, submitted those people to futility. He's given them over to a debased mind. So a, a, a rejection of God and a biblical worldview has essentially led to where we are today, right? Where, where everything is, is permissible. Um, you can be whatever you want. If a man feels like a woman, he could be a woman. You know, if they feel like a a, a pterodactyl, uh, they can be a pterodactyl. <laughs> Who's to say, man? But yeah. then it breaks down, though, because if I want to identify as a professional basketball player, no NBA team is going to let me on the court for shoot-arounds and for games. <laughs> like, no matter how hard I try. I'm like, no, I identify as making at least $3 million on this team. Everyone's going to be like, okay, that's that's cute. Good job. If only it was that easy. If only it was that easy <laughs> to, to, make, to make a dollar playing ball. But it's interesting, though, because you see the inconsistency. And I yeah. think that's where part of the frustration comes in, because they don't want to carry this worldview. And by they, I mean those who reject God and who have propagated this materialistic worldview, yeah. um, largely founded in, in Darwinism. Uh, they don't carry it to its, its logical conclusions a lot of times. Like, why can't, um, why can't I identify as the president of the United States, you know, over Sleepy Joe? <laughs> um, yeah. 
And, you know, thank God that we do have the truth. We do have it revealed in scripture. He's given us logic and reason to be able to understand these things and to make sense of them. And we can have certainty, like you're saying, in the gospel and in, in creation. And again, this isn't an exhaustive, you know, robust scientific defense of creationism per se, but it matters and it's true. And there is lots of good evidence out there. While we also at the same time hold the tension that this is primarily a spiritual issue, not one of evidence. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, you know, given everything that, you know, we just talked about here, um, how do, how do these things work itself out in the Christian life, Parker? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I think there's a variety of ways. So first off, I think it means being just grounded in your identity as being made in the image of God, that you are unique. You're not just another animal. Um, and then understanding that that is where our <laughs> rights, if you will, I like the term probably value more because God doesn't owe us rights per se. Um, we're his creatures. But I think it should first and foremost should lead us to to worship and praise um, the fact that God has created us um, and that as Christians, he's had mercy on us. That's something that can't be demanded. And that is something that he's gracious, graciously extended to all who would come to him in faith. So I think that's the first application. Uh, the second, I think, would just be knowing your Bible really well. Um, understanding uh, Genesis, diving into that, uh, looking into some maybe basic apologetic arguments for creation, uh, knowing the text really well, being familiar with some uh, opposing atheistic worldviews maybe. And then I would say thirdly, be able to engage in those conversations when they come up. If you have a friend or a loved one who um, you know, is an atheist, does propagate this materialistic worldview that we've seen has a very flawed past and chaotic future. <laughs> well, first and foremost, remember that it's a spiritual problem primarily. Yeah. But that's also not an excuse to not engage in the apologetic side at all. So understand some basic arguments, um, some rebuttals, uh, but then from there, just master the gospel and be able to give a good, robust, or even simple sometimes explanation of what it means for the God-man to, to, to take on flesh for yeah. us. Yeah, that, that's good. Um, <clears throat> did you add anything yeah. there? Yeah, I, I just uh, wanted to emphasize that when you say that it's primarily a spiritual issue, right? So it's like definitely, definitely do what you can to be ready. Um, if you do have those people that are in your life and outspoken and that you do you know, have these conversations with like, yeah, like know the arguments, you know, don't be afraid to interact with the evidence. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And don't be as scared of the opposing side too. Right. Because we know that we have truth on our side. Exactly. Exactly. That that's huge. You know, don't be afraid of the opposing side, but also recognize that, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to argue somebody into heaven that because it is a spiritual issue that there has to be a segue into the gospel somehow, because they have all the evidence that they need, but they're in a state of active suppression of it. Romans 1 right there. Romans 1, baby. So are we good to wrap up? Yeah. I mean, I was also thinking, I had one more thought as you're, as you're saying that. You're really good at doing internal critiques. Yeah. So maybe you could briefly explain what that is. Uh, this is an apologetic method. Uh, it might not be one that you have to understand or dive into right away, but um, for those of you that might be interested, I think Larry has some some nuggets of wisdom here for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think doing internal critiques are huge. Um, I think that... So what is an internal critique first? So, okay. Yeah. That, let's define internal critique first. So an internal critique is when you grant your opponent's worldview and the principles that come along with it, and you 
bring that worldview to its logical conclusion, right? And so this this form of our argumentation is called a reductio ad absurdum, right? You're you're showing how their view logically leads to absurdity, and so you do that by stepping into the the atheistic worldview, right? Just you know any worldview that that rejects God. He may not be an atheist. He may be a Mormon, right? He may be a Buddhist, um, you know? And so when I say, you know, atheistic, um, I'm, I'm kind of using it improperly where I'm meaning just those that reject the Christian God. And so you step into their worldview and you show how it leads to absurdity, how, you know, he says that he's, you know, or she is an individual. I'm not of, they though, right? Uh, they they might use the they them, but we're not playing that game, <laughs> right? Um, we're, we're not person. feeding into their depravity, unless of course you're having this conversation with multiple people. Exactly, then you could say they. Exactly, that's the appropriate time, right? But yeah, we're we're not going to play that game. We don't play no games here at RRT. No, no, we mean business here at RRT. <laughs> yeah, you know you can you know you can talk about they might bring evidences up, and you can bring up the point that I brought up earlier: how evidence has to be grounded in something. Or even how the scientific method is um, heavily reliant on constant variables, which assumes that the future is going to be like the past. And there's a whole, you know, there, there's a lot of literature on, which is it's called the problem of induction. There's a lot of literature on the problem of induction from apologists. And so the resources are out there and you can start to acquire tools for yourself to kind of put in your tool belt. And I was, I was talking with a brother the other day. So, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're familiar with apologetic methodology, you know that I'm, I'm a presuppositionalist. I, I love presuppositionalism. It's kind of, kind of lazy apologetics because you don't need to know all the evidences, but it, it's, I was talking to a brother and it, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like spiritual Wing Chun, right? You're kind of like deflecting and, you know, doing a move. Hitting your microphone. Yeah, hitting your microphone. <laughs> but, you know, you address their critique, but you want to drag the conversation into a different area, something that is more foundational to what they're talking about. Say, okay, like you want to talk about, you know, certain evidences for evolution. We can talk about that, but... We first have to know how we are to ground those evidences. How do we ground our knowledge? How do we know these things to be true? And so you can start to do an internal critique by showing them how they have no grounding for these things and therefore can't even justify the evidences that they're standing on. Totally. No, I think that was a great way of putting it. <clears throat> I think one quick example I would give is, is one that I, the first one that pops into my head is the example I just used. Uh, for example, though, you know, the, the atheist, and again, this is just one method. You can totally study up on uh, various methods and, and responses and robust arguments. Uh, but one would be uh, if the atheist approaches you and says, we evolved, right, to yeah. where we're at today uh, without God. You can then say, okay, well then, how, how can you know anything for certain? Like, what do you ground your epistemology in? Because like I said before, if, if we are just evolved animals, we evolved based off of survival value and not truth. Therefore, you have no reason to trust the reliability of your senses because then they would just be portraying to you whatever is most beneficial to your survival. 
So that's like a small little example. That's kind of an easy one that I could think to chip in on right there. But yeah, dude, I think you hit the nail on the head and yeah, good talking to you, man. Heck yeah. Missed seeing you over there in that chair. I know, dude. I missed, I missed you, bro. I missed you. Uh, This is is too long. long. It's too long. This is too long. So let's hit him with it. Yeah, let's hit him with it. You do it. All right. Till next time, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen.